Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Space Talk. Hope you're doing well this 1st of March. Uh, I hope you guys have been able to look up at the night sky this week and catch some of those winter constellations as we start to work our way towards spring. I'm your host, Athena Brensberger. Some of you may know me as Astro Athens, and you can also refer to me as the in-app astronomer here on Colin. We've got a ton of things to chat about today um, as far as what you can catch this week in the night sky. Um, as usual, we are following the weekly transmission, which I send out to my email subscribers every week. So if you wanted to sign up for that, you can head to astroathens.com. And then you can follow along every time we uh, kind of chat about this on either Monday or Tuesday. So I know typically it is on Mondays. I um, wanted to push it to today because I did just move to a new place today. So it's been a little bit hectic, but very excited to be here today to talk a little bit about some of our space events. So before I get into that, um, some of the inspiration for astronomy term of the week actually came from astronomy picture of the day. So apod.nasa.gov. And today's image, if you were to head to that with me, is a picture taken from here on Earth, uh, looking up at the night sky. And you can see quite a few galactic views or galactic perspectives. So you have um, one of the spiral arms of the Milky Way galaxy stretched across the sky. And then you have the Andromeda galaxy also visible. And then you also have a meteor. So you can see a little bit of a long streak there. So it kind of looks like a shooting star. And then you have the zodiacal light, which is actually sunlight reflected from dust orbiting the sun in our solar system. So it's a pretty cool astronomy picture of the day. Um, it was actually taken, let's see, in Sinchuan, China. So um, really, really cool image. I was captured in late January. Um, if you, again, if you want to go ahead and check that out, uh, go to apod.nasa.gov. So as I mentioned, that is what inspired astronomy word of the week for this week or astronomy term of the week. And so I chose spiral galaxy and that's also because let's see, I feel like there was another object that was visible. Uh, it's actually a, a star cluster. So I chose spiral galaxy and I will read to you exactly what I wrote. And uh, so out of the four main galaxy types, four galaxy types that are typically broken up into categories when it comes to galaxies, just to help sort of understand the differences of these massive celestial bodies. Spiral galaxies are of the biggest, and in my opinion, the most beautiful. But maybe that's just because our Milky Way is a spiral, so I'm biased. And as I mentioned in that image, we are able to see the Milky Way. And uh, the, although there has never been an actual photograph taken of our galaxy, because we haven't been able to leave our galaxy to take a photograph, there have been quite a lot of um, different com uh, computer models, mathematical models put together to simulate what our galaxy would look like uh, based on density population of stars, based on observations, based on gravitational effects of things in space with, uh, within, you know, a reasonable distance. So it's estimated to be within this area of our very own galaxy. Now they're named spiral galaxies based on how they look pretty straightforward. They have this very distinct spiral shape. Um, and these types of galaxies 
generally form their spiral arms or their spiral shape due to the spinning center of the galaxy. So there's a center bulge where there's just a massive collection of star clusters. I mean, not just stars, individual stars, but like massive clusters. Usually globular clusters are found in this region of the galaxy. So the center bulge. And we've talked about it before here on Space Talk. Globular clusters are made up of the most stars of any type of star cluster out there. It can mean up to 10 million stars can be found in a globular cluster. And there's a lot of stars, really old, old stars in these too. So with that being said, because there is so much gravitational influence in this area, this region of the galaxy, that is what leads to uh, the warping of space-time and the causing of more objects to start to fall in towards that center, hence also causing this rotation, the speed, the spinning of matter around what usually is a supermassive black hole at the center of the galaxy that is essentially controlling the majority of that gravitational influence from the center of a galaxy. And so when you have this really strong amount of gravitational pull happening, things are starting to fall inward. This is, object is spinning, so things are starting to swirl around it, kind of like if you've ever created a whirlpool in a swimming pool before with your friends, where everyone starts to go to the rim of the pool and they're spinning and spinning and spinning. And then you just stop, you know, stop spinning and you just like let yourself go and you'll start to swirl towards the center. That's kind of what's happening um, in space on a much larger scale. And so um, these are what uh, spiral galaxies are made of. This is what causes their shape and um, our very own galaxy, the Milky Way, is this spiral. So that's why I chose astronomy term of the week. And if you're just joining us, hello. Uh, what we did was chat a little bit about astronomy picture of the day, which you could find online at apod, A-P-O-D, dot NASA, dot gov, if you want to see what we were chatting about before. All right, let's jump into our must-see celestial events for March 1st to the 7th. So starting with tomorrow, excuse me, tomorrow night, I thought today was the second, on March 2nd, Mercury and Saturn are just 0.7 degrees apart from each other at 8 a.m. Eastern time. So they're very, very close. Uh, you're going to probably want to try and, and catch that. March 5th, Jupiter is in conjunction with the sun at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And lastly, March 7th, Uranus is 0.8 degrees north of the moon at 1 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. So you've got a bunch of different planets that are all aligning this week that you can maybe try and catch that. If not, totally okay. Uh, an easy way to sort of tell what the planet is as opposed to uh, a star that's nearby um, you probably heard of Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, and that's for a reason. Stars do twinkle, and that's actually because of their distance. So it's what it, they look like to us. It looks like they twinkle to us here on Earth, when in fact they're not actually like twinkling in space, unless you have a Cepheid variable star, which, which is a star that will dim and brighten and dim and brighten. And that can happen. It definitely is possible. But the reason why we see stars kind of twinkling at night is just because they're located so far away from us that there's sometimes things in between us. There's a lot of empty space in space, but sometimes there also can be dust and gas or other objects that can constantly be passing in front and that can cause them to flicker, 
where planets are located a lot closer, there's not as much material, definitely no like molecular clouds, gas, gas or dust located between us and Jupiter or us and Saturn or us and Mercury. And so with that being said, the planets have a very like stationary appearance to their luminosity, to their brightness. Moving into deep sky objects. So uh, if this is your first time listening to, to Space Talk, deep sky objects are part of the must-see celestial events, but they're usually objects that aren't always visible. Sometimes there's no visible objects at all that are deep sky. And most of the time, just like the name, you would need a telescope or binoculars to see it because it's very, very deep in our sky. It's super far away. And they're usually very big objects um, like galaxies, nebulae, um, star clusters. And sometimes you could see them without a telescope or binoculars, but most of the time it would be helpful to view these objects with uh, one or two of those pieces of equipment. So on March 3rd, a couple days from now, the Theta Carinae Open Star Cluster also known as IC2602, is visible. It's also nicknamed the Southern Pleiades. This cluster is at a magnitude of 1.9, and so it's visible to the unaided eye. So whatever I just said about needing binoculars or telescope, that can vary. Most of the time when it varies, it's usually star clusters like this one, for example. Um, it's called the Southern Pleiades. Uh, if you haven't seen or heard of the Pleiades, it's a beautiful open star cluster of young, hot blue stars that generally are visible, uh, without binoculars or a telescope, as long as you're in a pretty dark sky. So you'll definitely want to, um, go somewhere that is not only dark and away from light pollution. So not by a city, anywhere where the sky literally looks pitch black, but also somewhere that will probably be elevated because a lot of these deep sky objects tend to sit pretty low on the horizon. And this one is one of them. So the Northern Hemisphere, I break this up each week in Northern and Southern Hemispheres. So if anyone here is listening from the Northern Hemisphere, let's go ahead and just send me an emoji. Just got a rocket emoji. All right. Go ahead and just send me an emoji just so I know if you are listening from the Northern Hemisphere. Awesome. Just got a, a clapping hands. Awesome. Awesome. So if you're in the Northern Hemisphere, but you're anywhere further north of five degrees north latitude, unfortunately, you won't be able to see the star cluster. But if you're a little bit further south of that, so like Singapore is a location, uh, then you'll be able to catch this. Otherwise, it's, it's okay. There'll be tons of other uh, deep sky objects in the coming weeks that you'll be able to see. But for those who maybe are in an area where you could catch it, that are, you know, within that five degree north latitude. If you don't know what your latitude is, head to a website I use. It's called geodatos.net, geodatos, G-E-O-D-A-T-O-S.net. Uh, really great. You put it in your city and find out what your longitude and latitude are. So I chose Singapore for this one. And so if you're in this area, it'll begin to rise at about 9.30 p.m., at about 13 degrees above your southern horizon, reaching a highest point of only 24 degrees at about 1 a.m. above your southern horizon. So this was the example I gave. You're going to want to be highly elevated because 13 degrees, 24 degrees aren't that high in the sky. 
And so if you have anywhere where there's like buildings or trees, which most of us are probably surrounded by, um, you will not be able to see it. Your view would be obstructed. So try to get up higher if you can. Tip I tend to remind us all of also is using your fist. If you hold your fist out at arm's length from your knuckle to knuckle is 10 degrees. So if you were to hold that out and then you rotate so your thumb is facing up, stack your fist, then it'll start to line up in the sky 10 degrees, 20 degrees, 30 degrees, etc. If anyone is in the Southern Hemisphere, um, let me know if you're listening. You can maybe just send me an emoticon down in the bottom right. So this way I know. I will still read it anyway because if you're in the Southern Hemisphere, this is a great view for you. Okay, doesn't look like there's anyone in the Southern Hemisphere, so I'll go through it quickly. But uh, this is uh, this star cluster, um, Theta Carinae, is actually circumpolar this night. So circumpolar, meaning that it's visible the entire night. It actually doesn't rise or set. It just is visible when the sky gets darker. So it stays within this perspective of where it's facing Earth. It really just has to do with the Earth's rotation, its ax- its uh, tilt on its axes, and then where this object is located, the star cluster. And so as the Earth is rotating, it stays in favorable conditions where you can see the star cluster all night. And so it's circumpolar. Um, eventually you'll be able to see it by about 60 degrees above your Southern horizon at about 1:40 AM. And then it'll slowly start to be moving further towards your Western horizon until finally it's lost to dawn twilight at about 6:45 AM. And that'll be about 35 degrees above your Southwestern horizon. So if you're in the Southern hemisphere, Check it out. Probably sometime around 140 is when it'll reach its highest point, close to 60 degrees above Southern Horizon. All right. So that is the only deep sky object we have for this week. Um, there is a lot more uh, for next week, so I'm pretty excited for that. Um, and we'll, uh, I'm also going to start to include some constellations that are visible and some pretty bright stars, especially before we start to reach our springtime constellations and and those um, stars begin to become visible in our night sky. So I will start um, including that as well in the upcoming transmission, as well as this episode of um, Space Talk, which is usually our kickoff of the week of whatever is visible. I'm going to do a momentary music break, and then we're going to jump into space history. Let's jump back into it. Um, Before I talk about this week's space history, just a couple of announcements. Uh, This Friday is going to be my special guest interview with Corey Powell. I feel like I've announced this so many times. (laughs) I've just, we've been needing to change the date um, a couple of times. So it's going to be this Friday, which I'm really excited about. Um, If you haven't heard me talk about him before, he is an incredible science writer and journalist. And so he is currently working on a couple of new projects, which I'm 
not going to give too much information on, but um, pretty recent publications that are about to come out as well as a podcast that I'm so excited for. Um, we're going to dive into that on Friday, so definitely join then. We're going to talk about not only podcasting and what it's like to be a science writer, how you have to like you know really check all, tons of different sources, how you research these things, how you meet with different um, sciences representatives, wh- whatever it is that you're covering. But then we're also going to chat a little bit about extraterrestrial intelligence and aliens because that is one of his favorite subjects and it's also one of mine. So we're going to be doing that on Friday um, and I'm I'm really excited for that. So tune into that one at 3 p.m. Central Time. So getting into space history for this week, on March 3rd in the year 1959, Pioneer 4 launched. Pioneer 4 became the United States' first probe to escape Earth's gravity and enter solar orbit. So if you want to check out those images, it's really cool. It's kind of crazy to think about just like looking at how much not only the technology has changed since these years of early space flight, but also the photography and the images and like what this stuff looks like. Um, So definitely go check that out. And then on March 5th in the year 1979, Voyager 1 flew past Jupiter. Um, So I actually shared an image here in my weekly transmission of a close-up image taken by Voyager 1 of Jupiter's great red spot. This was the, I think it was was actually the first time that, that anyone here on Earth had actually seen such a close image of this massive storm that's been happening for hundreds of years on Jupiter. Great red spot is huge. You guys probably know about it because of any time that you might have ever done illustrations of the solar system. Jupiter is always that one that has a little red circle on it or like filled in circle. It's a dot. Um, And the reason, by the way, that the storm has been going on for so long is because um, Jupiter is a very gaseous planet. It doesn't have a solid surface. And so there's nowhere for the storm to disperse. There's nowhere for the storm to go, which typically here on Earth would get absorbed by the grounds, the water, and eventually can start to die down. But on Jupiter, that's not the case. Uh, and so that's that's kind of a crazy um, sort of anomaly or phenomenon that's, that happens in space. It's this great red spot. I can't imagine living on Jupiter and <laughs> dealing with a storm that's been going on for hundreds of years. One more little fun fact is um, Voyager 1 is the space probe or spacecraft, whichever you'd like to call it. It's probing Probing the, gal- pro- probing the solar system and further out into stellar space. Um, that's the spacecraft that took the image of the pale blue dot, famous, famous pale blue dot image of Earth seen from the orbit of Saturn. Uh, the anniversary was actually a week or two ago, I believe, and we spoke about it here on Space Talk, actually. So uh, thanks, to, thanks to Mario, who actually called in and reminded me of that. And so really special thing. Oh, yes, that was on Valentine's Day. I remember that now. So really cool thing, uh, Voyager 1, thank you for your images that you've taken. So those are the two events uh, I gathered for this week. I'm going to do, I'm currently changing different like uh, resources, sources of information. Um, I, I typically would use like literal physical magazines I would find at a bookstore. It's super old fashioned, I know. Um, I've started to explore other online sources for pulling out different information, different like history things. Uh, also, a lot of the stuff I find tend to be just like United States based and maybe even some like Soviet Union stuff. But like, you know, it, it's still um, 
very limited in, in what I've been looking in the stuff that I've been finding. And I know that there's so much more out there, especially over the past decade and even two decades um, of space flights and space exploration discoveries coming out of like ESA and ISRO and like so many other um, areas too. So definitely, definitely going to be expanding my horizon on space history. That's for sure. So last thing I wanted to talk about, what I include in my uh, newsletter, is the moon phase. So the moon phase is uh, the new moon, which happens tomorrow, March 2nd at 9.38 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. So the moon is currently a waxing crescent, very, very, very thin crescent. I actually just saw it the other night. It was really beautiful. Um, And so now is a very good time to go catch the Milky Way overhead. Uh, the best time to yeah go Milky Way chasing is always going to be during a new moon, and it's pretty straightforward why. Maybe you don't know why, and it's just because the moon is not super bright <laughs> like like the the full moon. It's not reflecting all that sunlight, um, and so because it's not the super luminous object in the night sky, it's not blocking out any other dim stars, and so those dim stars are able to come through the darker the sky is. So I hope you'll be able to go out and catch. Uh, the Milky Way overhead. So um, if anyone wants to join and call in and say hello, feel free to do that now. If you have any questions or you want to chat about something, um, feel free to. I'm going to play some music as we wait, but no pressure at all. But also they always say, you're not interrupting me. Anytime you want to call in, feel free to. Um, I'll be here. All you have to do is tap the call in button the bottom of your screen. Alrighty, looks like we've got a caller. Lauren, hello, how are you? Hey there, I'm doing good. Um, I had a, I had just a a general vague question about dark matter. I I can't see it. So we only see it by, or we only uh, theoretically know of it because of the effects it has on other objects. Um, yeah, that's and, that's uh, my understanding of it. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and I, I guess I was just wondering. I mean, with all the you know the stars and all this other stuff, I'm I'm just wondering how we haven't been able to somehow see see evidence, literally see evidence of it, uh, uh, like when the, the the twinkling of a star. I mean, is, is yeah. some of that dark matter going in there, or I know it. According to the the the, the stuff, it doesn't uh, react with light or or something like that, and so it doesn't. It's. I guess I'm a little confused about. I mean, it seems like because there's so much dark matter, we should be able to catch a little glimpse of it somewhere. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. It's a confusing thing. That's for sure. I'm not at all an expert on particle physics um, or dark matter. I know a handful, a little bit about it just from like lectures I've gone to and stuff. So from my understanding, what you've said, yes, it's correct. It's more so the effect of it on things around it that leads like astronomers, scientists, researchers, whoever it is, that's kind of analyzing the data to say, okay, there's something else that's happening here. We just don't see it. And so there's some people like, like Neil deGrasse Tyson says, we should be calling it just dark energy, dark gravity, dark gravity, because it's all you can really detect and measure is the gravitational influence on objects that are luminous and bright and shiny. 
Uh, what you said about the stars twinkling, that's really interesting. Um, that could, that could possibly it. I, I'm not too sure if it, if it is, if it's something, it makes sense. Yeah. It seems like it would be. Um, and then my last thing that I wanted to mention, you made me think about when you were, were, were tra- talking about that was sort of just like the, the rotation of galaxies and how the outer edges of galaxies spin a lot faster than what would have been predicted based on wow. like general relativity. Um, so basically saying that since there's, as we were mentioning spiral galaxies earlier, there's such a dense region in the center that is, um, yeah, just, just more, there's more mass. And so there's more gravity. You would think that that area would be spinning faster and then it would slow down in the outer edges of the galaxy. But um, a lot of galaxies are actually spinning faster um, in those regions. So the exterior, like the outer edges. Uh, and so a lot of, um, yeah, like pe- people who are working on dark matter, particle physicists uh, are saying this is probably caused by dark matter. Um, but I know that there's also like, like contradictory arguments about like, well, you know, maybe it's emergent gravity and it's emerging from something else like, 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 uh, like heat, um, that could be causing it or, or heat release. Right. And so like all these different things that, that it's kind all of theoretical, <laughs> right. Which, but, but I mean, it's also been observed, you know, like, I mean, yeah. not like visually, but, but, uh, I guess influence wise, uh, well, these things you, happen. You see the effects they've observed the effects. They're not yeah. causing it. Yeah. Right, which is the tricky thing. Yep. <laughs> so it's, but it's such a it's such a fun word to, or term to even think about dark matter and dark energy, and then this oh, yeah. crazy broad statement of well, actually, the majority of the universe is made up of this stuff, and there's only less than five percent that's you, me, and everything that's bright right. that we could see, and that just uh, really bothers a lot of people, <laughs> like, which I totally understand. <laughs> it's all good. It's all right. Yeah. So someday dark energy will be featured in a, in a book I'm writing. So that'll be cool. Oh, I'm excited for that. That'd be really <laughs> cool. Yeah. You'll have to let us know. You'll have to come on here and, and I'll interview you and you can tell me all about it. That'd oh, be so cool. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you, Lauren. Alrighty. Awesome. Well, that was, that was, that was a great question. I always love, uh, diving in with, with the ideas around dark matter and dark energy. Um, and just, yeah, the theories in general, the first time I think I had really sat through and just like got a headache about it was, uh, a lecture by Brian Green, um, during, uh, the world science festival in New York. And it, it ended up being this like three and a half hour lecture and I just remember I was, it was like the, just such a great experience. Like I was so enthused and just like, like absorbed everything they were saying, but also had the biggest headache because it was like, it's tough to comprehend. <laughs> I think anything that has to do with quantum physics, um, because it's, it's, it's so unlike anything that we understand or experience when it comes to like atoms and things around us that are made up of atoms. Um, but I guess that's sort of the joys of it is, is kind of diving into the unknown. Um, but that did just make me think that we should probably do a future episode about dark matter and dark energy and sort of explore that. I think that would be really fun. Um, I'll put together as much research as I can about it. Maybe I can ask Corey Powell about it on Friday. I'll see, 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 I'm sure he's written articles about it as well. I think that'd be fun. All right. looks like we've got one more caller, Mario. So if I can ask Lauren, if you can, um, maybe, let me see, maybe I can, 
There we go. Perfect. Thank you, Lord. All right, Mario, you are on the mic. How's it going? Hi. Hello. Yes. Just, you know, just just living life, studying hard, and it's pretty good. That's good. Yeah. Okay. So, oh, uh, I think I just wanted to drop by and say congrats on your new uh, on, on your new uh, your new endeavor with Dexter TV. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yes, thank you. Thank you for reminding me of that because I got to do a shout out as well on here for that. Um, oh, that was oh, so it was so kind of you to say. I'm guessing you saw saw this on Twitter or on Instagram. Yeah, it's on Twitter. Yeah, and you posted it. Yeah. Oh, that's so awesome. Oh, well, Mario, thank you so much. I, I wasn't able to, to do it this morning because of the, the move has been, been really kind of crazy, but I'm going to be there on, on Thursday. So if you wanted to join, that would be awesome. Yeah, it's yeah, more so yeah. targeted to like the space kids is like for uh, up to probably up to age six. And then space new space history is quite similar to what we do here, but it's a f- yeah. about an hour streams and it's video. So I go like really in depth with, um, just like some some of the events that we chat about, and those are all ages, so it can be anywhere yeah, from yeah. like, yeah, kids well, and adults. Well, as someone that was once a space kid, I I can assure you that I would have really loved to have these things. So these things really do make a difference. The thing that you do, yeah, they they, they, they really do make a difference. Oh, that's, that's so great to hear. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, like when I was a kid, this was huge. My favorite part was when the school would bring in like the blow up planetarium. Um, oh no, did you ever have a blow up planetarium in your elementary school or middle school? Oh no, we did not. It was like inflated. Much. Yeah, we didn't have much of anything. I was pretty limited to like that one section of like my, of like my school library. And then you know, eventually, you know, I my family got a computer, and that's like the extent of what I had. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh wow. Well, uh, I think that hearing, yeah, just just how yeah, so, you're saying now that this this makes a difference. That's that's so great to hear. Um, yeah. That's awesome. Oh, and now you're in school and, and, and doing research. That's that's really so exciting. Yeah, and what yeah, you're doing is really important. You know? I think about that. Yeah. Like how like uh, how kid me would be would think I'm very cool, and you know that kind of you know ups me up sometimes when I'm feeling down. That's so awesome to think about. I love yes. that. Kid me would think I'm cool. I should remind myself of that. I might write that down on like a post-it note and put it over my mirror. <laughs> so great. Yeah. Awesome, Mario. Yeah, well, thanks for calling in and saying hi. Uh, was there any other things you want to chat about? Oh, no, that, that was it, yeah. All right, awesome. Well, thank you so much. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. All right, everyone. Well, um, that is about a... Um, that's that's about everything for today, Tuesday, March 1st. I will expand a little bit on uh, what Mario was talking about. So um, there's this really awesome STEM-based school called Dexter that I worked with um, probably about a year. It was right during the start of COVID. Um, they launched this incredible online streaming platform. And... Um, now they just took it to a whole new level, launched Dexter TV. So if you want to ever go to it or tell if you know any kids who would just love to just basically watch streams that are all about science, science-based and art and music. So it's actually kind of everything, writing, science, art, music. Um, there are constantly streams that are going on. So it's sort of like having like a Netflix or a like a, a Roku or an Amazon Fire Stick, and you can scroll through all these different streams. Some of them are live, some of them are pre-recorded, and if they're live, you could actually join the stream. You can you can like send a request, say hello, maybe like you're you're building a project or you're building something, um, 
It is targeted for children, so I will will give you guys a heads up for that. It is for kids. Um, I have Space Kids on Tuesday mornings at 9 a.m., so that's ages 3 to 6 to about 6 or 7. I haven't quite decided on those two ages just yet, but ages three to six. And then right after that, I have space news. So we cover like any breaking news, um, rocket launches, and then kind of some of the things we talk about here about like what you can see in the night sky for stargazing. Um, and that's a, like ages probably about like seven to about teenage. And then we have um, our space history. So on Thursdays, but of course we go into a bigger deep dive of the historical events. So like today I mentioned, oh, Pioneer 4 launched this day. Okay, what did Pioneer 4 do? Let's talk about that. How was it built? What was it built out of? What was it made out of? Who were the manufacturers? So it's going to be a full like, you know, 45, 50 minute live stream and um, kids can join. Uh, and that's going to be all ages as well. So I highly ask you and encourage you or maybe put in a request. If you know any kiddos out there who would want to watch this, just let them know, um, Dexter.tv. And uh, there's been streams going on all day today as well. Today, tomorrow, um, there are so many cool things. There's um, painting with a scientist by Science Mom. There's hip hop science. It's a, it's a fusion between hip hop music, other types of music, dance, all kinds of science. And then um, there's art and there's like coding, STEM coding. And there's there's so many different things. It's I mean, it's so incredible. So I just highly recommend you go check it out. Um, so yeah, that's about everything. Um, and I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your day. I hope you get to go outside and look up the night sky and maybe do some stargazing. All right, I will catch you guys next time. And until then, add Astra.